This is The A. I'm Reg Clay. And Jake Song. <laughs> this is The A, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! <laughs> As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jans Leifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. As always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring us and our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara. And I have two fantastic guests on, and uh, a guest host, Jake Fawn. Thank you for filling in for Norman. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me again. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, no, uh, Norman, his uh, dad passed away last mm-hmm. year, and so he and along with his siblings have been taking care of his mom, who lives in um, San Diego. So uh, they're doing that. And also, he's in rehearsals for Big Data, which is happening at ACT. Oh, great. Yeah. He's so, understudying, right? He's understudying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know. Cross my fingers, maybe he'll get on stage, but I know that's a great gig to have. But we have um, John, uh, shucks, I don't want to, John Spector and Ipshita Fortado. I'm hoping getting the names right. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, how, are you, how are you folks doing? Good. Yeah. Fantastic. You, um, you are, Ipshita, you are one of the co-founders, along with Mike Tootin, of NFX Theater. Yep, Network Effects Theater. Yeah, and um, uh, John, you are uh, a playwright, and uh, I think you have a play uh, coming up there. I think it is uh, Best Available. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll be uh, talking about that. How has everyone's 2024 been so far? I mean, you know, we're almost at the end of the month. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, every time I've had folks on, there's a little bit of, a, this is an election year, so people are a little tense, you know, all sorts of mm-hmm. things are coming up. So hopefully we can, you know, with bated breath, you know, just hope for the best. But uh, so far, you know, weather-wise, health-wise, everyone's doing good? Yeah, yeah, doing well. I mean, I definitely, on a conscious or not level, feel myself conserving my energy, mm-hmm. knowing that you know, as we get closer to the election, it's going to take yeah. up more and more of my it's attention an and time, time and yeah. anxiety. And, yeah. yeah. Well, how, how do you feel, Ipshita, about Yeah, efficiency? I feel the same. Like, 2023's end was very slow, and it took a while, and it gave us a lot of time to prepare mm-hmm. for this year. Right, exactly. And the fireworks have already... So I've got a mm-hmm. couple of... Usually I do current events just to, you know... Mm-hmm. Heat, it's almost like heat up the proverbial pan of the yay. <laughs> but um, it's, it's just fascinating. So I was talking with a friend of mine. I work at the Alameda County District Attorney's Office, and we talk about politics. Apparently, we're still talking about slavery. Uh, Nikki Haley this week mm. says, oh, yeah. oh, U.S. has never been a racist country. Has, has never. Mm. What are you talking about? And, you know, she lost the, uh, well, she placed third in the New Hampshire. Is it New Hampshire? No. The Iowa. Iowa, Iowa Caucus. Pro- caucus. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we'll see what happens in uh, New Hampshire. And Trump, you know, despite the fact that he has all these allegations going on, he, you know, he was not only number one, but, you know, 50% of voters uh, who actually braved the storm to vote in Iowa, you know, voted for Trump. So it's like, what is it going to take? I I have no idea. It's, It's fascinating to me. It really is. I mean, for me, like, it was one of those kind of things, as you're saying, Reg, that, 50% 50% of people or the 50% of the vote went to Trump and mm-hmm. yet it was people who braved the storm and yet it was only about 100,000 people who mm-hmm. actually came out when I think the relative population is about 700,000, 750,000. Exactly. So that's yes. not really counting everybody. <laughs> exactly. So the narrative is a little bit skewed. You know, it's as if, um, and of course Trump is just trumpeting it, you know. 
Now, another thing that's been going on, so and this deals with sports, and you know, we may not be all sports fans here, but this, so Aaron Rodgers, uh, who uh, quarterback, so was quarterback for the Packers. Um, he said some really horrible things about Jimmy Kimmel saying, oh, he may be on the Jeffrey Epstein list. There is no proof of that at all. But also UFC Son Strickland, who is fighting uh, apparently, um, you know, a match this weekend, made some really disparaging comments about the LGBT community. And I bring it up because I get the feeling that as long as Trump and this rhetoric keeps going on, people are just encouraged to just, I don't know, spew all sorts of, you know, hateful things. And I'm wondering if this is just a byproduct of if, if it's your Trumpism or if, even if Trump didn't exist, if people still have this. And you would think that with new generations, we can get away with racism and, and all of this stuff. But um, I don't I, know. Yeah. I, this is partly why we start Network Effects Theater. Yeah. Mm. Our motto is to make passive impossible. Yes. And it was, um, you know inspired by the social media generation and people mm-hmm. who've grown up in that space where you can say whatever you want and literally everyone gets to listen to it too mm-hmm. you have access to this you have the the platform as these individuals that you just mentioned mm-hmm. to say whatever is on their mind true yeah, or not yeah it's fascinating and and john i'll ask you because we had a uh, pat milton on and she wrote a wonderful piece called the engine of our disruption mm-hmm. right it played at um central works but it talked about how uh technology mm-hmm. merges with our own uh, i don't know personalities our own worlds sometimes even for the worse and i get the sense that this is a byproduct of social media you know, you have ESPN, and that was one of the main things about that happened in the article, that ESPN, which is a major, it's owned by Disney, mm-hmm. and it has a lot of, you know, just clout as far as being on TV and being, um, you know, there's an ESPN app and all of that stuff, so it has a great following, and yet it said nothing about the mm-hmm. fact that two individuals, Aaron Rodgers, you know, because he came on the uh, Pat McAfee show, who mm-hmm. has a great big podcast on ESPN. EMS And Uf- UFC, the guy, <laughs> you know, that was broadcast by ESPN. And, you know, ESPN's like, oh, well, hey, you know, we just open up the mic. We don't, we, we're not explicit. Right. I don't quite agree with that. But my question to you is, as a playwright, do you write about these things? Do you write about, you know, the things that happen out in the world and put it there or... Do you focus on other things? I find it very difficult to write about something that is super in the zeitgeist while it's happening. Mm. I think there's a way, and I just had a theater that's trying to commission me to to write a play about something mm-hmm. that's happening right now, and I I think I need to say I can I can write that play in a year, but I can't write it right now. And part of it is there's sort of too many other voices in your head, yeah. Um, to be able to, you know, have anything. I, I think this is actually one of the challenges for all writers right mm-hmm. now. And I, mm-hmm. I, I myself have, um, as one of my personal failures, have not managed to take myself completely off of social media. But I'm very aware that most of the writers I, I admire are not on social mm-hmm. media. Yeah. And I think there is a thing of it just is when we have all of these other voices in our head all the time, yeah. it makes it that much harder to kind of find, you know, what, what we have to say in well, our own point of view. If I might <laughs> please, please, please. Um, I did read a piece that mentioned um, this much I know was inspired by Kahneman's book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, have, slip. I, have, I have written down Daniel Kahneman. And <laughs> right? it deals with yeah. prospect the- theory and fast thinking, slow thinking. Which was, if I 
would assume it, it was quite zeitgeisty, at least in the tech community for a long time. Um, and I feel like the piece really didn't have to take like the specificity of the story that, that he writes, but embodies like the philosophy there in order to display it into a new narrative that you put in. Yeah, I mean, that, that piece had a very long gestation. And <laughs> I mean, I had heard of the book, but was certainly not aware of it. Any, um, it was very popular. So I, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I knew it was, a, it was a big, it was a big hit. But I, I think, and of course, that there's no narrative in the story, so it was more trying to figure out. There was something about that book that I found engaged me as a reader in a theatrical way with its mm-hmm. ideas, and so then trying to figure out, like, okay, but what does that become? And it took many years. Yeah, no, I was reading a little bit on This Much I Know. Mm-hmm. It's basically a college professor who is in a relationship or he's he's challenged in his relationship and he's thinking about why people make the choices that we make. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's four or five different threads of story that all are sort of interwoven and, and, okay. and that, is, that is one of them. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad that you brought up, you know, uh, Daniel Kahneman. I was reading a little bit about him, how he uh, grew up in... Um, Occupied uh, France, you know, um, mm-hmm. occupied by the Nazis, and you know the choices that you make. And I was also reading Jean-Paul Sartre's uh, Nausea. We actually were told to read mm. that we were in uh, high school, mm-hmm. which is tough reading yeah. for a sixteen-year-old. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think the teachers were sort of saying, you know, that our minds, you know, number one, we're privileged as Americans, and number two, the decisions that we make are sometimes predicated by what's in front of us right now. And I think Kahneman uh, talks about, you know, uh, risk aversion um, choices. You know, we we don't want to get hurt and therefore we make the choices that are safer instead of, you know, one that may actually benefit us. Yeah, there's a um, – Michael Lewis has a, a great book about Kahneman and his partner who, you know, they, worked, they did all their work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and because he's Michael Lewis and so his job is to, like, create a narrative, he <laughs> puts this narrative on top of – Kahneman's life that maybe or maybe is not true of, you know, how was it that he was able to, you know, see see these things that nobody else was and kind of invent this new field, mm-hmm. really, of, of psychology, and that Michael Lewis's story of that is that, you know, he was born in France, they were Jewish, they, they waited too long to leave the country, and his father was, and they were on the run, his father was diabetic and, mm. and died because yeah. they were sort of in hiding, and so it's, according to Michael Lewis, you know, it, it's his life's work is to understand why his father made that bad decision, you know. I, um. I, don't, I don't know if I totally buy that, it's like a little bit, it's what people do when they write those kind of books, is they try and find a clean narrative, but... Um, yeah, and I totally understand the, the idea of, let's say your parent may be gone, or there may be, you know, hidden questions, and families go through this all the time, where there's, you know, something that happened in the past, and it's, uh, I don't know, it's triggered the family, it's almost like a, a, a scratch on a record player. And you spend your entire life trying to patch it up or that one little moment, even if the moment has any meaning or not, it's easy to just forget about it. But, you know, you, you still go back to that proverbial scratch. So um, <laughs> did you have any thoughts about that? Um, no, just absolutely. I mean, just, you know, why we do make bad decisions or why or why we stay somewhere for too long. I mean, you know, to create a narrative is like, cool, but at the same time. Why do we do the things that we do on a regular basis, right? It's just yeah. hard to comprehend and hard to even kind of fathom and even answer for the most part. Right. And one last current of it. I have a bunch of stuff that I just throw out these things just to see <laughs> right. what, what caught, you know, what, it's like a magnet, you know, what t- attracts our attention, what doesn't. Right. But this fascinated me. Uh, there's a church called, well, 
It's a church called Sunday Assembly. It is a church without God. It is an atheist church, and mm-hmm. apparently yeah. it's picked up a great deal of momentum. I was reading about this this week. And I guess there's a poll of 30% of Americans have no religious affiliation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering if we are... I mean, there's a section of America that is very, very, you know, aggressively religious. And even, right. you know, they've, mm. they're have they pouring towards Donald Trump because although Trump would not, in my opinion, be the most religious person, he certainly votes along those religious mm-hmm. right things. Absolutely. You know, at the expense of women, you know, at the expense of women and abortion, mm-hmm. at the expense of the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. It's really, really horrible. And I've talked about the fourth great awakening and the religious right, and now it's taken over, you know, a part of American politics. But also just... I wonder if the younger generation or more generations are just moving away. They look at religion as sort of a a cancer anathema from for peace yeah. and just, you know. Do you think there's a, there's a movement of, I don't know, I'm not going to say atheism, but just wanting to have that sort of church community without the God? Interesting. <laughs> yeah, for me, I mean, I'm certainly not religious. I would definitely classify myself as more spiritual. Sure. So, I mean, you know, or more agnostic, whatever the term is, right? Sure, you know, sure. that there is kind of a higher being or whatnot. But I've never thought of, you know, going to a building, having somebody saying things to me, and, you know, preaching the word of God is, you know, something that actually really came into my life or mm-hmm. that really I identified with. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, for me, I very much find my sanctuary or a place of being community. Mm-hmm. And that's like whether it's being in a theater show on a Sunday or, I mean, for me, I did play a lot of sports growing up as a kid. So mm-hmm. I remember one time standing on a baseball diamond and I was just like, this is my sanctuary. I was there before anybody mm-hmm. else was there. Mm-hmm. And I was just saying to myself, this is my sanctuary. This is where my place of peace is because I get to be somewhere that I absolutely love to be and I get to practice or perform what I love yeah. to do. So, without without uh, discrimination. Without, without discrimination. Judgment. It's yeah. all, it's. It, I mean, especially, this is what I love about baseball, so quick tangent. But, sure. Um, <laughs> what I love about baseball is that it is actually a game where both sides are even, no matter, I mean, and this is, what can even go into the professional conversation of it is that you have teams that can pay Somebody like a Shohei Otani, seven hundred million dollars, which yes, is an indeed. insane contract. Sure. First and foremost, but yeah, a lowball uh, team can easily win. But in a lowball team who pays all of their players, let's just say hypothetically twenty five million dollars, mm-hmm. can actually beat that seven hundred million dollars single player. So right, it's one of those concepts that I love about the game of baseball and even sports in general is mm-hmm. that it's an even playing field as soon as you're on whatever field you're playing on. Yeah, a question I'll ask both of you. Because I had, um, there's a wonderful friend of mine, Craig Dickerson, who um, he's since moved to Texas, but he was a part of, I was part of a theater company called um, East Enders Repertory Company. Mm. And he was one of the featured actors. And we later had a podcast. It was a faith podcast. But we had to talk about theater as sort of a church or there's mm-hmm. sort of a, a church-like vibe that happens with good theater. I'll say good theater, especially a good repertory company mm-hmm. yeah. where people can come together, they can talk and they can work on a project that, you know, reflects what's happening out in the community and everyone is you know judged equally like I said in a good theater we've mm. we've had Eli Sonny Orkiza on that talked about yeah. the living document and how a lot of theaters don't do that but do you think I guess I'll adjust to both of you can theater be sort of like a church I mean not necessarily a place of worship but a place where people can really I don't know experience something that they you know you they say you walk into a church and you come out you know feeling revived and mm. f- feeling 
you know, having a new way of thinking about things. And theater can do the same thing. If you watch a piece and you're like, wow, I had a thought, I have a concept of what mankind is mm-hmm. and how to think and how to feel. But yet this playwright and these actors have changed my way of thinking. What do you think? Yeah, I can I can take a stab. I feel like um, as a new entrant to the theater space um, and practitioner, I found many outlets where finding that sacred space, kind of what you were saying, Jake, on the on the mound, um, is part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'll mention two places where I've experienced this as regularly last year. So 2023, I. Um, joined a dance class regularly mm. okay. every week Sure. Um, called Rhythm and Motion. Okay. That's at Berkeley mm-hmm. Ballet Theater. Oh, nice. It's an amazing course and anyone can access it if, mm-hmm. if you're interested. But um, that has become a ritual, right? There's an element of church that is ritualized yeah. where you see people <clears throat> you know, you are become comfortable over time and then the sacredness can sort of seep into your instrument right mm-hmm. yeah which i think a lot of artists um understand and have, have experienced mm-hmm. um the other space was uh in powerhouse acting school where i also started taking acting last year okay so like movement and acting yeah. um and again you're you're challenged to think outside of your mundane day-to-day yeah you're challenged to find things inside yourself inside Mm -hmm. others to reflect it Mm -hmm. um to commune i think community is is a lot of what religious uh ceremony and rituals are about sure um so it's interesting to hear this piece like to to know that people are still inventing new community yeah because that's amazing and delightful and if it brings them joy and brings the world love like i'm all for it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I think, and, you know, the fact that we humans, we talked last episode on chat GPT and AI, mm. and are we dehumanizing ourselves? Do we really want to talk to robots more than actual humans? You know, if I can get an AI to program and say, I love you, <laughs> because my girlfriend won't, <laughs> then, oh, that, can that be better? You know, it's almost like that movie, Joaquin Phoenix's uh, Her. 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 But what do you think, John? Yeah, I think we, I mean, I think as humans, we all have a desire and need to feel like we're part of something bigger than ourselves that's certainly i mean going back to the trump thing that it's so clear for his supporters that's a huge part of the the appeal and why those other candidates running against him have no chance is that Mm. you know you listen to those people they feel like they're part of something some you know that gives their life meaning yeah with him in a way that i you know I, i don't think others do and I and and you know and certainly to be part of a community which I think theater theater can do and it, and it is that um, that wonderful thing of you have your community that you're a part of as a theater but also being part of this larger you know I I had the you know this fall had cool experiences of being able to go and um, be a, sort of come in at the end of a process of a play of mine in in Austria that was it translated into German and mm, then wow. a wow. couple months later so was in cool. London yeah. and just the thing of you know the culture is different the norms are different but there is a way in which that the making of theater is always the same and so mm. when you're um yeah when you're there you're like oh here I am like still in my in my home even though it's this you know completely foreign place to me wow that is fantastic i mean you know just connecting like you write <clears throat> just some words on you know paper or word document and all of a sudden you know 
that story is so pop powerful that you know other communities from you know in other languages are like, hey, John Spector, you're talking to us. Yeah. You know that that is that is wonderful, really cool. and that is a great transition into an origin story. Yeah. So, Ipshita, I'll begin with you. Um, where did you uh, where were you born and raised? Oh my gosh, I was born in the middle of the country okay. in a little town called Manhattan, Kansas. Wow. <laughs> um, but as you mentioned, like religiously, my, my family was Catholic. My last name is Furtado. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents immigrated to the States from India. Wow. They come from uh, two sides of India, if you by coastal, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, a little state called Goa, yeah. which is predominantly yeah. um, Catholic. It's a, it's a very it's, rich part of India. It, rich is, is a... Is a <laughs> Interesting term to put. Um, well, I hear people vacation there. That's yes, it's a, it's like Hawaii, if yeah, you will, yeah. of India. Um, and it has a lot of foreign investors, which probably adds mm. to that uh, perception. But um, the Goan community is, uh, you know, converted by the Portuguese. So that's why mm. we have that cultural tradition. And then my mother's side is from Bengal, Calcutta, mm-hmm. um, and also uh, converted by by European colonists, so it's all yeah. all part of my ancestry. And then, um, yeah, so born in Kansas, spent a little time of my childhood in Texas. Wow. Um, my parents moved a lot, so I've gone yeah. to like 10 different grade schools. <laughs> uh, do, you have, do, you have, do you have siblings? I do. I have two older brothers. They okay, so you're the youngest. Are, yeah, I'm the baby. Gotcha. The baby girl. Um, but yeah, I spent most of my um, developmental years uh, in Los Angeles and then came up here for Cal and haven't left. Um, Theater-wise, I mean, were you um, like a high school um, theater nerd? Oh my gosh, I was always um, very inspired by, I think, the confidence that I had seen in theater children, (laughs) theater kids and students, Um, but I never got to. I was was in marching band, I was in band, I was in a lot of, um, I I did a lot of sports, I played a lot of water polo, Mm -hmm. Um, but I never got to, you know, scratch that itch of uh, performance or theater and I uh, may have thought about that a long time and only really feel like I've um, entered into theater arts uh, in 2020. Fascinating. That is is quite, because usually you hear the opposite where, you know, you always have it in your mind and you always dabbled into it and... uh I've always been a patron. Uh, I grew up, you know, my parents were big fans of Lloyd Webber. I probably know more musicals by heart than I've seen. Um, you know, I was a Disney kid, so oh, okay. all of the princesses are part of me. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get into how uh, theater, you know, how you dwell deeper into theater. Absolutely. John, I'll switch it to you. How, where were you born and raised? Uh, I, largely in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., the, on the Virginia side. D.C.? I'm, um, I'm a chocolate city guy my own oh, self. <laughs> I, well, for people who are really from D.C., I won't say D.C., because I'm actually in, like, sure. Fairfax County. Sure, sure, you know, but I used to work in Fairfax uh, County yeah. uh, in McLean, Virginia. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I was in, like, Annandale mostly and, oh, nice. and like Falls Church various points yeah. um, so m- mostly was there um, and then went to went to college in Florida at a school that until very recently nobody had ever heard of called New College of Florida but now mm. is uh, in the news a lot because <laughs> Ron DeSantis, you know, made it the object of his, like, fascist takeover. Oh, and it God. was this, yeah. you know, very liberal school, very small school, right. very progressive. And yeah. he just decided he's going to, you know, he, hmm. like, fired the whole board of directors. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. I mean, it's a whole rabbit hole. It made tragedy. news. Too. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, no, I was hearing about that, too. I was like, as soon as you said it, I was like, wait a minute, I've heard of this. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah, please. Really, anyway, that was, yeah. that's a whole tragedy unto itself. Um, S- siblings? But, 
Uh, I have an older brother. Okay. Yeah. And so then, you're uh, the youngest too. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I did. So I did theater in college, but it was such a small school. We had no theater program, mm. uh, really. I mean, it was a lot of sort of student, you know, created work, and yeah. um, mm-hmm. and I didn't. I sort of got into direct. I was knew I wasn't a good actor, so I I sort of started was directing more. Yeah. I had always written as a kid and when I was younger, but I. I wasn't really aware of kind of new writing, yeah. playwriting, and so I, directing seemed like what I should be doing. And then I, I went to New York after college and was there for about four, four or five years, okay. um, trying to be a director, and you know, to the degree that I yeah. could do that. I had no, like no idea. Was this how New to York, do that. like in the aughts, or yeah, it was like early aughts. I moved there right after nine eleven, actually. Wow, <laughs> so I'm sure you have some experience. You have some stories about that. Yes, I mean, I was both while well, I was in Northern Virginia on nine eleven, and I was working at this um, shitty sports bar. But yeah. I, and I was in the morning shift, and we were right off Route 50. So when the plane hit the Pentagon, and you Whoa. know, all these people flooded out of the Pentagon, and and like suddenly our, we were full of people who had come from the wow. because wow. it was a sports bar so we had a million TVs and everybody sure. just wanted to come oh, somewhere where they could be around TV. other people and watch what was happening on TV wow. and it was, right, right, right. it's a crazy um, yeah. morning but I yeah so I was in I'm actually looking at that poster of, of Sick because that play uh, it's being a transcendent theater experiences I had moved to New York mm-hmm. and, and one of the a theater this theater Soho Rep was doing the next play they were doing after that one was a play I had done sort of as my undergrad thesis and yeah. I not knowing how anything worked or anything better, just sort of walked in off the street one day to see uh-huh. if I could like work on that play and happened to run into the artistic director who was like coming up the stairs and they uh-huh. were in tech for, for sick. And he was like, I can't talk to you right now, but yeah. come back and see our show. <laughs> and, uh, and I did. And it just, I saw like the yeah. first preview of it. And, like, sick completely blew me away. Yeah. Sick you know? was a wonderful experience. We had Joseph Leonardi on and uh, he was one of the main actors for sick and also uh, Bob Zick. I've had him on as well. And it's basically just about, you know, the uh, folks in, New York and Manhattan mm. in their own apartments and they're sort of living their lives and it's very very abstract it's um, I would call it experimental theater okay. um, but it really had the zeitgeist of you know like what it is to live alone in a bustling very populated city like New York in, in your own I had a question for you Ipshita mm. did you feel like a minority did you feel alone mm. in because I'm just thinking of growing up in Kansas yeah Growing up in Texas, uh, with a Latino-like last name, but you're Indian, <laughs> we had um, uh, uh, Priya Gayadeen on, mm. and she talked about her experience being from um, Indian uh, ancestry, but growing up in, um, she grew up in Guyana, in mm-hmm. South America, <laughs> and spending time in Baltimore, New York, and spending time in Canada. But also going to all these places and being involved in theater uh, companies and other little companies, but always feeling, although she was part of it, a minority because no one looked like her and no mm. one sounded mm. like her. Did you? Did you get that feeling I mean, at all? It, to ask some someone who is a minority, do you ever feel like a minority? Like, yes, absolutely, all the time. Sure. But um, you know, I had a just a warm and fuzzy feeling because my family was so close knit. Right. Cool. When you're an immigrant family, you don't necessarily see a lot of other family like extended relatives often um and so when I was with my brothers and my parents like I didn't feel a minority at all um but yeah of course my you know my brother was put into uh 
ESL classes because oh, they thought oh, he might language. need yeah. that, mm. even though we only speak English at home, right? right? Like, <laughs> oh, what, because so, they heard the accent. They were no, like, they just assumed probably preconceived notions, right? Yeah, like, yeah just kind of discrimination yeah, already, you like, know, just without any knowing. Wow, it's okay. oh, it man. happens. Yeah, uh, and you learn, and and you know, I've I've had moments and in places that, you know, I don't give the places a bad rep because not one person represents a whole. Sure, sure. Right? Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, My husband is black. Mm -hmm. We are a mixed race couple. We love being in the Bay Area because we feel like that's our home. It's like, especially Oakland. Yeah, do you have kids? (laughs) No, we don't. Okay. Um, And so it's, it's just a part of my life. It's part of my identity. It's okay. Mm -hmm. No. And, and of course being here in the Bay area, we're we're in a wonderful bubble. I mean, uh, you know, you're in a, um, a a relation, a mixed relationship as well. Absolutely. Jake just got married. Uh, well, not just, but you know, six months. Yeah. That's just, that's pretty recent. Yeah. I mean, newly, (laughs) newly married. I mean, you know, and it is one of those kind of things. Cause as you're talking about it, deep Sheeta, like, you know, I, my wife and I, we went to actually a stage combat workshop in New Orleans Mm. And we're there, and we definitely just had this kind of vibe of like, we're getting some stairs. It's we're different in Oakland. Not, yeah. It's, it we're is. definitely not in California anymore. And it's just always just kind of interesting navigating that. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a little jarring. And we, and I mean, it's happened to us one time, or excuse me, twice. Mm. Once in Alameda and once in Berkeley, where people are just kind of staring at us mm-hmm. like, why are they together? It's like, yeah. what is your perception? Like, just, <laughs> full disclosure, the world. Like Jessica is mixed Filipina and white. Yes, exactly. And uh, you are, because people can't see you. Yeah, because people can't see you. <laughs> black, 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 Chinese. Black and half, and half Chinese. Yeah. Which, you know, like, it, for me, it's just, it's also great when, I mean, just, you know, give, give this quick little uh, plug even, sure. is that when I'm able to participate in, you know, Asian shows mm-hmm. because of the fact that I am mixed race. I just absolutely love it because I am Chinese, you know, whether mm-hmm. or not people want to see that because of my skin t- color or not. I just absolutely love it. I'm just like, I'm going to own this because mm-hmm. this is me. Yeah. This is who I am. Yeah. yeah. And to your credit, you own both. You know, you've been part of the Asian American. Uh, you did, um, I forget the, the show that you were in. Throwaway Temple by with Kunoichi Productions. Yeah. Yeah. And also, great. <clears throat> and also you were part, you know, you haven't let go of your black culture as well. You know, you were part of a soldier story at Altarina. That yeah. was last year. And you had a wonderful mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. I've had a wonderful experience and especially owning the fact that I am both. It's just, and the fact of even feeling accepted as both yeah right it's just one of those kind of feelings that it's just like wow like people don't just see me as one or the other they see me as the person i am yeah no that's important if she'd i'll ask you one question before i bounce it back to jonathan um coming here in 2020 you came during the pandemic i mean you said you oh to theater but yeah. not the bay area i i see i've sure. been in the bay for a long time yeah since when when did you come to the bay um Gosh, it's now been 20 years. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So if it's 2024, 2004. Yeah. All right. Nice, nice. I, uh, well, you were also coming at a very strange time because that was when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, became and that yeah. whole crazy thing. <laughs> you know, I was, um, I got to walk down Telegraph Ave when Obama was elected and yeah. as, as, a, as a student and um, it was super powerful. Yeah. Um, but, but, but I tell people the biggest reason I don't go back to LA permanently, at least currently, is the sky is blue here. Yeah. I grew oh, up with a lot of non. Yeah. I got a lot of gray when I was growing up. <coughs> which is like, it's bright outside. It's not like cloudy. It's just gray. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> John, I'll bounce yeah. it back to you. Um, when did you come to the Bay? 
uh, about 2006. Okay. I think it was, nice. So, yeah, I was in New York for about yeah, five years. And that's pretty and good, been, hanging yeah. out there in New York. I mean, did you do a lot of theater in New York? I did, but it was mo- it was a lot of a lot of assistant directing and a lot of um, you know doing like tiny things where where I could. And mm-hmm. did you feel you needed yeah. to branch out? So just a big move to kind yeah. Of it was sort of a combination of things. I had met the woman who is now my wife in the Lincoln Center Directors Lab, and awesome. she was from here and 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 lived here, and we. We ended up kind of doing a long distance thing, and then I kept coming out here to visit, and was like, "Oh, it's so nice here. Just live here." Um, cool. And as well as feeling like I just didn't, I had no idea how to get to the next. You know, New York is so. I mean, it's amazing, and there's so much incredible work happening all the time, but it it's just so intense and so competitive, and so. Mm. Um, I think for me, who had no real theater training, I just felt like. Everyone around me knew so much more than me, and I just was felt sort of at sea. Even though I, I learned so much sort of in that time, and and it helped really form my taste, and and was exposed to so many amazing artists. Um, now, if, I mean, in a weird way, now many, it's funny that many of those people are kind of coming back into my orbit as sort of I'm having more work there, and so that's that's a, a nice thing. Um, yeah, so I came out here in 2006, and and my wife had. She had just started a theater company, and we had sort of ran this theater company for about I don't know over ten, over ten years. I mean, yeah. it, it only really what was the name of the company? It was called Just Theater. Okay, and Jesus. we had, you know, we would do like one or two shows a year, sometimes no shows. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we, but um, it was the kind of thing where I feel like at the end of every show we were like, you know, we had a good run. Let's call it a day, and then you know, some some amount of time would pass, and we'd be like, okay, I guess we can do another one. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. And then also at that time. When I moved here, I started pretty quickly working um, for the Plaritz Foundation, Barry yeah. Plaritz Festival. So I became the literary manager there, and I did that for four or five years, yeah. um, bef- which is before I had started writing plays myself. And then it was sort of around, yeah. not long after I left that, that yeah. job, started writing. It's funny as you were talking, I'm looking at all sorts of posters uh, you know, around my wall. A lot of the theater that I was part of, you know, either doing tech or acting, or writing, producing, was around the aughts. It was around that around that same mm-hmm. time. And I get the feeling that there was a time just before the tech boom happened in San Francisco yep. where you could actually do theater. You could actually rent out a space on the cheap and rent mm-hmm. actors <laughs> on the cheap. I mean, of course, I think that actors should be paid you know appropriately but you could actually have you know rich robust theater and there were so many theater companies that were around it's a lot of competition but there was a lot of creativity mm. and i think that it's it's unfortunate you know, we've talked so much about theater companies that have run to the ground they, the money just ran out i was part of mm-hmm. Eastern's repertory company it ran out i was a part of um Dragon Eggs, you know, that ran that ran to the ground and all sorts of stuff. So you got to see that transition where yeah, <laughs> the no, tech I mean, I, came in and the landlords want that money and all of a sudden, you know. Yeah, and I mean, it's both, I think it's that side. It's also as cost of living increases, people need more money. So sure, they, yeah. everybody needs to be paid more. But, you know, the money's got to come from somewhere to pay people. And right. and that, that becomes hard to, I, I think about that a lot. I think about companies like Impact yeah. that gave, you know, barely paid any anything and I think that became harder for them to sustain and they felt like they needed to but they just didn't weren't able to make it work sure but then when you don't have companies like that that is for many people their first show mm-hmm. even if nobody's getting paid or they're barely getting paid then there, there's just so many fewer avenues of entry for people yeah. 
Uh, right, exactly. And that's one of the biggest problems. I mean, I, I also I absolutely agree. You know, people do need to be paid appropriately. However, it is tough. I mean, if you are a budding playwright, um, it's so wonderful to have like, and we could talk about Playground um, San Francisco, where Jim Kleiman has created a an environment where if you're a young budding playwright, no matter what your experience is, mm-hmm. you can get in. I mean, you need talent. You know, there's <laughs> you have to have a little bit of talent to get in, but it is a venue where you can grow. And there are other places like there's um, the Playwright Center for San Francisco, and there are other incubators. Um, and we can talk about NFX Theater um, because Playground sort of helped. Yeah, you know, grow we're part NFX of the Theater. Innovator Incubator yeah. with Jim, and um, it's been. It, it was certainly like something I'd applied for once, hadn't really got it. Mm-hmm. Next time, Mike and I joined forces and got in, and so we're super appreciative. And I think um, that was what you guys were talking about. You know, putting on a very low frills production for the first time Mm -hmm. as a first-time playwright as a first-time producer uh last summer called distant states with the free play festival was Mm -hmm. uh an option i had never expected to get before you know joining something like playground sf now was that your first full-length play it was my full first full-length play that i actually wrote ever Mm -hmm. (laughs) back in 2020 it's a play about dating in the pandemic yeah yeah and um got to put uh my acting classmates from empower house um on stage for many of their first times Mm -hmm. um so that was a privilege and an honor like to be able to bring people who are budding artists together lots of first time moments lots of learning yeah um to be able to put on a full show for a whole weekend, right? And, yeah. like, actually have people come. Like, that was crazy. Yeah. But what, what inspired you to actually put pen to paper or um, open up that Word document yeah, and write a play? I, you know, so I had that scratch that I never itched yeah. for many, many years of my life. And um, 2020, uh, despite, you know, starting to work from home um, and being sort of isolated, I've I found that this might be an opportunity to have creative expression. Um, the first thing I did was email Patrick Dooley mm-hmm. and ask to be on the board of my local theater, Shotgun, right because um, you know I was working at a very a, a reasonably large tech company and knew a lot of people starting to do these campaigns, especially for BLM. Mm-hmm. And I was like charity starts in your backyard like where are these people going Mm. why are you flying places to go do a walk somewhere but um you know so i was like where what's what's my version of um exploring what i want to sustain through potentially a catastrophic human moment right right? right. um and one of that one of those things was theater Mm -hmm. (laughs) one of those things was arts Mm -hmm. and um you know i'd been introduced to shotgun i'd been a patron i'd seen shows and it's a you know it was a 20 minute 30 minute walk from my house mm-hmm. um and the shows that i've seen at shotgun um were were those moments of sacredness and, and spirituality that yeah. like i had been through like Dryland was one of my favorite pieces where there's a three minute moment where a, a janitor is cleaning up menstruation blood in a girl's locker room wow. okay like wow. it's yeah. mm-hmm. otherworldly yeah, <laughs> and i got to see that see on tv or the movies yeah. or i got to like see that, that at ashby stage that. right yeah. like yeah. world mind-blowing so i emailed patrick i was like hey do you guys take board members <laughs> like do you need somebody yeah. i don't know what i can do always yes it's always yes right. which is like there's always a yes. winning yeah. hashtag winning um <laughs> 
Uh, but we had this like rich conversation about what I could potentially help with. And one of the things I was interested in was, um, you know, exploring how do we get this very wealthy tech community to freaking donate <laughs> to support the arts in some way. And yeah. so I have plenty of ideas about that. But um, so we talked about it. There's just there's, there's an aging um, population of donors and mm-hmm. uh, funders for mm-hmm. arts. And so how do you engage sort of potentially all this new money um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's sitting here? They're right across the street. Like they're, they're doing, they're spending money on things. Right. It just might not be Ashby yeah. stage. Right. But it sounds like they need the person to that, they, that who can approach them to find, yeah, to yeah. find ways to, to meet them halfway or yeah. to, to explore what, new ways. You? So I, I've, I've certainly like had ideas. Mm-hmm. I haven't like campaigned. I mean, Joni McBrien there is mm-hmm. an amazing foundation development person. Um, but yeah, so that was my first like inch itch. I was like, okay, I can potentially serve on the board. Um, mm-hmm. And so that that was a pathway. And then writing distant states came from um, I'd been on the Central Works newsletter mm-hmm. for many years, yeah, and always saw this Monday noontime writing workshop with Gary Graves. Yep. And I never could attend because mm-hmm. I was always at work on yeah. Monday at noon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, who gets to do this? I guess when I'm retired, I'll do this one day, maybe. Um, but then it went on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And I had a brand new avenue to participate. Mm-hmm. I could take a slightly longer lunch on a Monday at work. Nice. Um, in order to join. And so I um, joined Gary's writing workshop um, and then I got like addicted to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I joined the uh, playwrights because he has a, a class at the Berkeley Rep. At Berkeley Rep, yes. Yeah. And I did that and that helped me very much to produce uh, my play Foreman in Paris. And so, you know, it's helped you as well. Yeah. And so into distant states manifested from, uh, you know, the feeling of the challenge of like loneliness with uh, companionship and the idea that, you know, a lot of people that I knew in my life were just kind of getting up and leaving. Mm-hmm. And as someone who's moved, like I said, about 10 times for schools, sure. I've moved a lot. I know what it's like to, to get up and move and, and reroute. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of what I wanted to do was an homage to um, the Bay area as a place where you can root. And so the story follows, um, a woman who's dating um, and rekindling her like appreciation for the things that we have access to here. Yeah. In the Bay. No, no, no. That that is fantastic. I was going to ask you before I bounce it back to uh, to Jonathan. <laughs> uh, was that how you met Mike Tootin um, via the tech industry? Because I know he's a tech- actually no. We we had never crossed paths. Um, he's in he's in like the larger tech industry. I I've been in mostly startups and founding okay. my own companies and things. So we're sort of on two ends of a spectrum. Gotcha. Um, but we met in Gary's class oh, um, nice. yeah so we've we got to get to know each other reading each other's work mm-hmm. um, in workshops and um, found an affinity actually we sort of bonded together I think Mike mentioned in, our, in his piece mm-hmm. um, with a few other playwrights that uh, started doing the study like I had never taken a class mm-hmm. in theater writing or anything sure. um, but that group allowed me to read plays, mm-hmm. talk about them, uh, read each other's works, do cold reads, mm-hmm. like do our stage readings in 2020, which Jake was a part of, yeah, nice. um, or in 2021. Oh, you guys got connected. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah we connected before. Exactly. Yeah. Small we've, world. we've done some mm-hmm. little productions. Um, but yeah, Neil Harkin, Samara Elder, Dennis Eds, yeah. uh, and Mike and I uh, sort of... 
unofficially bonded um, for for a year. We did a few stage readings and mm-hmm. started to put our pieces up in the wild, and that that was like, oh man, I can't go back now. <laughs> this is too fun. Yeah, John, I'll, b- I'll bounce it to you. How did you get connected with NFX? Uh, uh, not, but not yet. Is he is he writing a play? Are you writing a play for NFX? There's no, be a I think right? Mike and you no. have have chatted recently. Yeah, Mike and we just wanted to take you aside. And, yeah, yeah. asked if I if he could take me out to coffee, and so we had a okay coffee. But just that's, part of the yeah, community. Yeah, <laughs> not, I've had some of those coffee um, meetings with um with Mike. <laughs> you know, he's yeah. percolating whatever. Uh, but well, can you talk about uh, just how you um, because you know what, what was your first play? My first play that was produced or that I wrote? Or... You can do both. Let's, first yeah. one you wrote. Um, the first play, I mean, the first time I started writing was I, I mean, as an, as an adult, I guess, um, for theater, I had, there was this moment, it was one of those moments when our theater company were like, eh, maybe we'll never, maybe we're done. You know, one of the many times about that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and oh, then I was... Was this for just as a two? Yeah, yeah. And then I was at this party with this... I don't know if this company... Does this company Mugwump still exist, or are they done too I've now? I've heard of Mugwump, but uh, I don't think they have. They might be over. But so there was the guy who at the time was running it, this guy Chris Wade, and he was also like, I don't know, we might be done. And then it was, it was a party with him and, and and Liz Lyle, who's the manager of Shotgun, and we were all talking. We were like, well, let's just make a play together. So the three of us just started like meeting. We sort of devised a, a, a play um, over time that then Mugwump ended up producing. But I, So I started doing a little bit of writing for that, and really enjoyed it. And then I, um, yeah, the first play I wrote, uh, my, my theater company, we still existed for many years. We had this kind of playwrights lab um, that I had sort of modeled on the, the Soho Rep writer director lab that I had been part of when I was mm-hmm. in New York. We had sort of playwrights and directors and playwrights developing plays over six or nine months. And then we do staged readings at the end of the plays. So I, one year I decided I was going to be a playwright in, in, instead of a director in that group. And, so I wrote a play called Sandal Weather, which we did a, it had a staged reading and that was sort of the end, <laughs> the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I wrote, then my next play was a play called In From the Cold, which mm-hmm. um, ultimately, you know, my theater company produced, but was also the sort of the first play that I like really shared with anybody or like sent out in the world and, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and got some nice sort of positive feedback. It, it was, uh, the Aurora Theater used to have this program called the Global Age Project, where they mm-hmm. were, people would submit plays and they'd pick a couple plays and give you $1,000 and do a reading. And so it was selected for that. And, and um, yeah, and was sort of getting, I don't know, I feel like fairly early on getting more positive feedback about yeah. my writing than but, I ever yeah. had about directing. Yeah, no, it sounds um, like you were getting, you were, you were um, that was part, it was getting, because it, it sounds like, you know, you, you, you really love be, being a playwright. I, I do, yeah. It took me it took me a long time to get there because I think I was very um, I had spent so much time working with other playwrights and mm-hmm. and sort of supporting writers and advocating writers and selecting writers, being a part of these panels, and so then to sort of write my own play like the. I mean, I think this is true. There's a what's his name? Ira Glass has a thing about this about how like yeah. the, the thing about starting that's so hard when you start being an artist is if you're a good artist 
you know, you it means you have developed good taste, mm-hmm. and that means you're very aware that like the bar for the work you like is here, sure, and what you're doing is here, yeah, mm-hmm. and the gap between that is really painful. That's exactly and, right, yeah. and so a lot of people give up at that point because that sure. gap is, and but you just have to keep sort of chipping away and try and kind of you know you're never yeah. completely close that gap, but yeah, there's that journey, know. there's that. The, the play that you have in your mind or the creative thing that you're creating in your mind versus what you actually see on the stage and the quest to get there <laughs> and the quest to let go and allow other artists to contribute so that, you know, you may have it all in your mind, but you can allow others to make it, you know, and create things that you didn't even think about. And, and to even speak on that too, John Jonathan, is that um, I love how you're saying that too, because how people will give up because they think that it's just so far away. You know, the best just don't give up, right? Like that struggle, that determination to like get there and like basically see something develop and to see it put on. Mm-hmm. It's like that is something to just really strive for. And so, yeah, like I, like there's times where I think that of myself and even my own work and how I'm even like, am I doing good enough? Am I good right. enough or anything like that? I'm just like, I am and damn it, I'm going to show it, right? So Yeah, I think about a lot this, I got to do some years ago, there's this player at Eric N who mm-hmm. you know used to be in the Barry years ago mm-hmm. and now I mean, he's done a million things, but now he mostly... Um, I don't know what else he does, but one of the things everybody knows he does now is he runs these um, silent playwriting retreats hmm. that he does, oh, nice. you know, once or twice a year that are you know quite famous in the playwriting world. Um, and, uh, and I, uh, you know, he talks to you, but but you don't talk for five days or seven days, mm. however long it is, and you you sort of write a new play in that time that he like pulls out of you. Um, but one of the things he said at one point was, um, you know, how we, you know, we when we think about plays we always think about ends like we think about compl- other people's plays yeah. that are finished right. we don't right. think right. about beginnings and like we don't we don't know what that play that you saw that you loved looked like yeah. when they were halfway through a first draft and so you're right. comparing the thing you're doing in mm-hmm. this messy you know stage to somebody else's finished product and that's not a useful way to think about it yeah that's a very um, good point because i do think about the final product i'm like oh my god this play that i have in my head i don't know how to get there I'll, there's a question for both of you as playwrights because i know as a playwright if i don't know the ending of my play this is a, uh, a debate that i had with Jeannie baroga she'll be like listen it doesn't matter what's in your mind just put it on paper just put it just write just write just write and just you know and it'll just come but there's some folks who are like, well, I need to know what the ending is. <laughs> I need to know what the full arc is. I need to know what my characters are before I even write. Mm-hmm. That's just how I think. Uh, when you begin a play, does the concept come first? Does the characters come first? Does it differ with, you know, which which play uh, you're working on? Uh, does my question I make mean, sense? I mean, every, every play is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but I... I I almost never know the end of the play when I first start writing. Usually, I will reach a point in Mm -hmm. writing the draft where either I do know or I will need to stop and say, okay, I I probably need to outline a little bit more of how I'm getting from here to the end. But but I never... Yeah, usually at the beginning, I'm just kind of feeling my way into the the world and the character and the question and... Okay, so you don't need to know what the end is to begin. No, no, I, I, I don't. And I, I, I know there are people who, who do work that mm-hmm. way, but I'm much more of a just sort of, I mean, it's very, and then it's very different than like, um, you know, in the, I, it's something I'm still trying to understand for myself because in the like TV 
film space when you're when you're pitching things or you're having conversations. You know, it's much more the expectation is that you, mm. you know, have it all outlined before mm. you start writing. Yeah. Um, and I struggle with that so much because that's not how I write yeah. plays. And so trying to sort of find my way into like giving myself that same kind of permission um, to muddle my way through and then outline sure. um, is something I, yeah, I'm still. Yeah. What about I'm you, Abshita? I, I think I'm the same. I don't necessarily know the ending. Um, I took a class with Lisa Marie Rollins once mm-hmm. um, with Vona, which is really great. Um, and her suggestion was write three endings. Mm. <laughs> um, and the aim was to allow not the ending to exist in your mind, but like the feeling you want the audience to have. Interesting, yeah. And so if you want the audience to leave contemplative or inspired oh. or, you know, I don't know, joyful, um, right. you can write three endings mm. and then kind of see what feels best to you and, and to the, the characters themselves. So yeah, that was a fun that's tip so that I learned, which I, I was like, more writing? That's yeah. your suggestion? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, it's, it is the, it's the worst part about writing. It's the only way to do it is to write. Just keep on doing it. Um, yeah. But I do think there's a thing where, you know, some of the best moments when you're writing is when something surprises you and you're like, mm. oh, now I, now I, this is going to happen. It like clicks happen. and you're just and like, yes. And I think yes. there is something about like, the, if that is exciting and surprising to you, it, it hopefully will be exciting and surprising totally. to the audience as well. And yeah. I think the danger, if you have it all figured out before you start, is that the audience can can feel that too. Yeah, it's sure. less surprise yeah. And, yeah. You can get into cliches and things like that if you but, do have that set ending and, and all of that stuff. But everybody, you know, every. Everybody does it completely differently. And that's just sure, 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 sure. No, we, we've of had a bunch it, of know. playwrights come on. Like Scott Munson is one of my favorites, mm. who's done a lot of work in the Bay Area community. And uh, he's like, hey, listen, sometimes you just need to listen, maybe step away and maybe just watch. He's very much a proponent of listening to theater or media that like you know from different areas different genres Mm. like let's say from india and what is india theater like or Mm. what is you know chinese theater uh like no japanese no theater and then coming back to whatever you're doing to have a different perspective because maybe you're too locked in on you know the characters that you have um so you can get a different perspective and sometimes i'll have a conversation with someone that i've never had but had before and i'm like oh wait a minute Okay, that's an idea. I haven't even thought about that. And then I could jump back in. I, I will say, although I don't know the ending usually when I start writing, I do feel like I don't understand a pl- what a play is until I get to the end. Like, I, I yeah. need to... Oh. I, I, when you're midway through a draft, it, it you know, the end, the end determines, like, what the play is ultimately and what it's about. And so yeah. then, once I get there, then I can kind of go back and be like, okay, So your well, revision well, process might yeah. be longer than <laughs> your generative yeah. process, right? Yeah. Come from, comes from, too, right? right. Yeah. Say it again? Sorry. And that's what the outline comes from, too. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then as, yeah, as you keep revising and sure. revising and revising sure. and revising. Yeah. John, I, I want to ask you about the business of theater. How do you market yourself? Because you have plays mm. that are going on all over the world. And mm. I get the sense, wow, you're doing something that <laughs> I need to figure out. I mean, how do you, how do you, yeah. obviously creating the piece itself. It's like, if you build it, they will come. If you I mean, it. I don't think that's true. <laughs> I don't think they will come. Yeah. I mean, I, I, certainly not in the Bay Area. I feel sure. like that is a... That is a lesson I learned in 
you know, with my first play that kind of allowed me to, to kind of break out a little bit. Sure. You know, this play that I had that called Eureka Day that was at Aurora. Yeah. And it was oh, a big, it was a, yeah. you know, it was a really big hit. It yeah. like won all the awards, did really well. And so I was like, okay, this is, this is it. And, I just, and then like nothing, oh, you know, no, nothing, nothing happened. Like nobody, yeah. and the realization was like nobody else is paying any attention to what happens in the Bay Area. Nothing is going to happen on its own. So I yeah. needed to then, mm. you know, um, put in a lot of effort to try and get the play to, to people. I think it's less about, I mean, marketing, I feel like is a weird term because it implies that you're just sort of mass. Yeah you know, putting things out to the world. I think it's much more about, I mean, everything in theater is about relationships. And so it's much more about sure. building, you know, why deepening and widening your network of relationships. And I think that's really hard when you're starting out and you yeah. don't have any. And so then, you know, and that's certainly something like there was a big shift, you know, once I had an agent in terms of helping to introduce me to people and begin to build those relationships on, on my own. I and, see. Yeah. Um, so the agent then, is the one who actually pushes your, your work. Not, uh, <laughs> or connecting with people. Who yeah. Will I think, do that, I right? think from her, yeah, it's her point of view and, and whatever. It's more about, you know, can maybe making a connection to somebody that you don't know. And then mm -hmm. hopefully it's less about pitching the work than it is about then, you know, you build that relationship and it, and it goes wherever it goes. Sure. And then, yeah, sort of navigating complicated things as, as they come up. Yeah. And, um, but no, no, I mean, you're at a place where a lot of folks would love to be, where they can say, hey, I've got a show. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I feel extremely, yeah. extremely lucky and, yeah, to, to have the lots of opportunities that, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's been a, it's been a sort of a weird and, and wild sort of ride the past no, that's know, fantastic. Five, five, six years, and I, I have not. I, it, it's come so close and fallen apart so many times. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to jinx it, and I don't have not signed a contract. <laughs> but I will say I am very optimistic mm -hmm. that uh, I, this play will be on on Broadway that next season. Hey, oh, that would be so cool. uh, wow! So fingers that, crossed. Uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Now, are, is, is, would that be the play? Uh, this much I know. No, that would be Eureka, uh, Eureka Day. Day. Yeah. Eureka Day. Yeah. I, I have heard of Eureka Day, and I think we've even pushed Eureka Day because I think there may be a friend of mine who was on in the play. I've, I've looked back at my notes. But in any case, no, 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 that's fantastic. And hey, to have on the yay, hey, we had. I know. <laughs> right. 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 Before it happened. And it was just all about that not giving up and just, you know, just keep yes. on hoping. And sure. Just it. Just keep on pushing. We'll it. see. I mean, it's been a very, like, the conversations about that happening began in like fall of 2019. So it's been a very long, sure. <laughs> a very long Absolutely. journey. Yeah. But, but um, you don't give but, up. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Uh, if Sheila's going to ask you, do you see yourself more as, because now you're part of NFX Theater, as the co-creator. It's uh, like me and Micah, we do theater <laughs> stuff together. Right, exactly. <laughs> but I was going to ask, do you see yourself more as a playwright or more as an executive, as an executive physician? Oh my gosh, that's, uh, mm, uh, probably, I, in my work life, I, I just run shit. So mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, saying one thing or the other, like, I'm going to have to wear all the hats anyway one day. Sure. Would I love to produce other people's works? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if there's no other people who want their work produced, I'm going to write a little play and put it on the stage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's some folks who gravitate towards one or the other. Like, I have a friend yeah. of mine who did, was, you know, in plays or whatever, but then, you know, she was like, you know what, I'm really 
love the business part of it, and I, I can, mm. I'm very good in building theaters. I mean, that, that was a big reason why yeah. I joined the board of Shotgun yeah. in 2020, mm-hmm. because, you know, it was, I, I had a sense that, you know, I knew their repertory was amazing, mm-hmm. and I wanted to see what happens behind the curtains. Yeah. Um, and it's one theater that has survived and thrived through yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. Not easily. Oh, my God. <laughs> but um, none of it has been easy, but, you know, they've survived. You talked about other sh- other um, venues or locations and theaters that haven't made that, right, that exactly. leap. And part of it was a business decision in their history mm-hmm. of, you know, having real estate. <laughs> and as someone who is somewhat familiar with real estate, I was like, oh, my gosh, I wonder how they operate around this. Mm-hmm. This particular condition that's unique to them. Yeah. Um, where they're not renting space. Yeah. They're renting from themselves. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Um, and that is that was part of the business elements and operational elements of running a theater for as long as they have mm-hmm. that I was curious about. Yeah. And see how that even manifests and like what it takes to maintain that and not, you know, lose the fact that that happened for them and that they have two yeah. spaces, right? Like they have rehearsal space. That is um, right. I, the studios, yeah, right? Yeah. Over in, on university and then yep. the stage. And, mm-hmm. they, you know, these assets have their challenges. They have to be renovated. They have to keep kept up. There's all sorts of things that can happen when you mm-hmm. have people in a, in a place. But that was an element that, you know, outside of the artistry mm-hmm. was like, oh my God, someone had some foresight. Sure. Sure. <laughs> to, to, you know, when the, when the, and, and the Bay Area has such, you know, you're talking about renting places and Ooh. you can't do that anywhere. It's unaffordable. Like, sure. the ups and downs of the, the economy here have, mm-hmm. have a lot of effect. Yeah. Will that be the next step for NF, NFX to get oh, a space? Oh my gosh. Uh, we, we need to get some other things under our belts first. <laughs> Sure. Perhaps, but this is a good start. I mean, but, you know, but you know who? Yeah, I won't leave anything yeah. um, unturned. You never know. Yeah. yeah. What's going to be the season for NFX? Um, oh my gosh, we're still figuring it out. It's January. <laughs> yeah. We do this on the side. <laughs> right. No, but I mean, it's it's a start, and you know, every every you know. No, but we're so. I mean, we've got plays. We want to definitely do readings for. Sure. Uh, we mm-hmm. had a couple stage readings in November, which are really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we definitely have stuff yeah. we can put with a group of people and like workshop development work um full-length production Mm -hmm. i I don't know where i mean this there's a lot of action that needs to happen this year and it may not necessarily be within our theater i I sort of bring this back to our first topic of of the election like things are going to happen yeah things need to shift you know the the effort and time of the individuals who care who want to make passive impossible Maybe better spent doing something else. Yeah. Mm. So I, I won't less. Yeah. I won't rule it out, but yeah. I'm not going to be like, yeah, totally coming <laughs> this day of the year. No, sure. I have no idea. <laughs> I um, I may have a play that I'll send to you and Mike. Mm. I'd love uh, to read it. <laughs> I love reading pieces. Um, to wrap it up because we're uh, we're past the one hour mark. Okay. Uh, where do you see yourselves in the future? Um, I'll begin with John. I know you have a couple of plays uh, that you're pushing yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, or, hopefully, or the, you know, the plays that you're working on yeah, right now. Hopefully, yeah, I do have a couple of. I've a, I have a new play. I just finished a first draft of in Exciting. November. That we'll do, do some development on this year, and then I have a couple commissions I need to start. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and then yeah, hopefully, just continue being able to continue to make theater and and do more. Um, you know, be a little 
more involved than I than I have been so far in um, in TV film stuff. Uh, sure. Have some- now, is your wife still involved in theater? Is she still she is creative? she is. Um, I mean, she her day job is she's a high school drama teacher. Okay. Um, and since COVID, coming out of COVID, she hasn't directed outside of school. Hmm. Um, part of that is because we have a. Um, 14 month old and so, so oh, the timing nice. of like as we were yeah. as things were coming out um, and Gosh. she had directed a lot with our, our company which you know I mean I guess doesn't like completely not agree. we haven't <laughs> made a big announcement that it's done we still have a bank account and a 51 c 3 but I, I can't imagine doing the you know that thing of when you're running a small theater company, you're just like doing everything yourself, and you're of course, and you know, yeah, putting every, the stickers every, on the on the labels <coughs> for the fundraising yeah, letters, right. and you're you yeah. Know, I I just don't have the and it's tough coming out of your own pocket do doing that, that. Yeah. Um, um, especially if you if you yeah. have you know a uh, family yeah. and and you have uh, older kids. Are are you have kids yeah, in have, college have, too? Right? No, no, no. I have I have an eight year old. Okay, and, uh, and a one year old. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm advancing uh, them. Yeah. Well, you know, you blink and then sure, right? Exactly. What about you? Where do you see yourself and NFX, you know, in the future? Uh, do you have any plays that you're working on right now? Um, I, I've definitely taken a little bit of break from writing. Um, I've got this opus that I really need to get done this year. But I've been taking acting courses. I'm finishing Miser cool. training. Nice. Um, feeling like I'm getting my real badge of act- artistry cool. <laughs> training cool. down. Um, so I'm finishing up my Miser training at Empowerhouse, and then. Um, yeah, I've got all sorts of little fun things to play, to to finish and revise. Especially because it's an election year, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, I've got like a couple pieces. One around like women's access to health, and mm. um, my opus piece is like a cryptocurrency mm. journey of mm. the Wizard of Oz. Hey, I like that. That cool. <laughs> which I started before the crash, and yeah. so it's going to evolve now. When you were talking about Zeitgeist pieces, I was like, I don't even know. Yeah. Like, it's this is hard. <laughs> I've been yeah. following the Sam Bankman Freed, you know, mm-hmm. conviction and uh, oh, that right. whole thing, and also by what is that? Uh, that currency by um, by binary or by um, Bitcoin? No, it's um, they've they partnership with NFX. You mean is this like Binance? Bingo. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's another one that I think is going around on coin that's going to crash, and yeah. there's some shady stuff going we'll on. We'll see. There. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a. It's really interesting. I've been in fintech for the last decade, so I've mm-hmm. been close to it professionally and uh, really wanted to take some exploration and liberty in, yeah. in the writing element of it. So who knows? Maybe I'll get a, a reading out of that by the end of the year. Hey, that's cool. And Jake, aren't you in – you're about to go into a rehearsal, right? So, or are you in yeah, rehearsal? As a matter of fact, actually, I was just hired on – oh, God – Really interesting story. So, um, first, first and foremost, a friend of mine at Ragged Wing Ensemble. He is one of the former um, assistant direct, uh, ads, excuse me, artistic directors, Keith Davis. Mm-hmm. He actually is a director over at a middle school, and he decided to bring me on as assistant director. Hey, so oh, that was really cool. Congrats. And uh, we're doing Beowulf, and cool, <laughs> really roundabout way. Beowulf was one of my first plays that I did in middle school. <laughs> okay, so, so it's just like cool. wow, what a trip. And Beowulf in middle school. I mean, yeah. that is just, that's a heavy thing to put on some It was kids. a heavy play to put on in middle school, but you know, I think my theater teacher, who, by the way, I'm going to give him a shout out because he was so cool and I still keep in touch with him, yeah. Richard Silberg, he 
I think knew the violence and just the sheer power of Beowulf, and he was just like, "Yeah, these kids are gonna like this." Beowulf, it is right. So I did that, and I played King Hrothgar. So that okay. was really great for the time period. And funny, funny story, actually, the employer, the principal at this middle school, I actually grew up with him. Oh, which is insane! Sure. I have this photo of us when we were children. Yeah, and I brought it to the school literally just yesterday. Yeah. and he and he just was like, "That's me." That's you. We grew up together. Wow. Mind blown, right? So small world. It was just awesome. such a small world. So it's yeah. great. Yeah. So literally, we just started rehearsals for Beowulf, and then we'll be doing and we'll be doing that at a middle school in um, El Cerrito. And um, moving forward, actually into April, I'll be understudying at SF Playhouse. Yeah. Glass Menagerie, uh, directed by Jeffrey Lowe. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've had Jeff Lowe on, so that's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I'm excited for that. And actually, I've got some plugs and some birthdays, but you know, hey, I want (laughs) to make sure I don't step on your things. No, no, no. Well, I mean, we're we're at the one hour mark, so this is the perfect time. I just wanted to plug... uh, one of our other sponsors, Charles Blades Barbershop, uh, they have been wonderfully generous to uh, contribute to us. Charles Blades is located at 182nd Street in downtown Oakland. It's a very cool, relaxing place where you can get your hair cut on and they'll even serve you a complimentary drink. Um, they also sell hair gels, pomades, shampoos, and conditioners. Mm-hmm. Hop online, give their products a try, and support minority business like my man Charles Blades. Book an online appointment at www.cbb.hair Also, I'm very, very excited. Now I can actually announce it. So Plethos mm. Productions, they are doing a fundraiser. They're trying to open up. They're uh, creating a new theater space in downtown Hayward. And they're doing a fundraiser. As part of the fundraising campaign, Plethos is hosting a retreat at Camp Monologa on the weekend of July 26 and 28. Mm. Along with the host of teaching classes by some of the best Bay Area theater artists, the Yay will be hosting a live episode in front of an audience. Um, And there'll be uh, gourmet kid camp inspired food created by Mad Creations served at the mess hall, Uh, swimming hole, wine and uh, paint night, plus so much more. But I'm very excited. And uh, yeah, so our thing, July the 28th, it'll be a live Yay, um, in front of an audience, and we're very, very, Norman and I are very excited about that, so I Amazing. wanted to plug that in. And by all means, please donate to Plethos if you can at uh, givebutter.com slash let's Plethos. Plethos means so much to me. Um, my first full-length play that actually had us on audience was Foreman in Paris about Richard Wright, mm-hmm. Chester Hines, uh, a couple of uh, expats in, in Paris, and James Baldwin. Yeah. And that got a wonderful audience at the Douglas Morrison Theater before Douglas closed down. And Plethos was the sponsor for it. They were the ones who said, hey, you've got a voice, and I be- we believe in you. And so I'll always be dedicated to Plethos. And they've been doing that for most for a lot of artists. Amazing. So I wanted to plug that in. And there are some shows. Uh, did you, this is a good time to plug it? Plug yeah, in. go for it. Um, so yeah, for me, uh, I, I, will, I would actually like to uh, plug um, My Home on the Moon uh, mm-hmm. at SF Playhouse. It's, okay. uh, I think they're about to go into previews next week, as a matter of fact. Keiko Carrero, wonderful friend of mine, cool. is understudying in that piece. So I'm hoping to, yeah, check that out. And here's hoping that she can go on stage as well. Um, that's actually the one show that I definitely wanted to plug. I did have a couple of things that I wanted to plug that aren't shows just currently. But go ahead. Yeah. Sure. Um, there are a couple of shows that are going on. Actually, uh, there, the uh, there's a not actually. Let me just go right down the list. So, making magic masterclass at the Magic Theater that will be going on on January the twenty seventh. 
actually one day, 10 to 11 p, 10 to 1 p.m., 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., uh, Margot Hall will be uh, teaching there. Also, Eli Sonny Ortega, Ortega will be teachers there. We have a link for that. And then the very next day, Eli is a teacher at Representing Matters, a theater artist boot camp at Ballet Creative. That'll be Sunday, July the 28th from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, the Laramie project is going on right now. Another project that Eli is working on. He's been really, really busy this year. Yes, he has. Um, Stagebridge is uh, doing that, and their last show is tomorrow, and we have a link for that. And for those who don't know Stagebridge, they are a company of elderly mm-hmm. actors, mm-hmm. actors and directors and creatives who... Um, you know, they, they're getting their theater on, and it's wonderful that Eli is working with them. Matter of fact, I'm going today. Mm-hmm. Right on, right on. <laughs> Matter of fact, uh, I think Radhika Rao saw a little picture. She went, so it's wonderful. Awesome. Um, Fred Pitts has his one-man show, which is his, in his third incarnation. He, like, closes the show, and then the Marsh is like, no, 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 we want you to come back. <laughs> we want you to come back. I've it's a wonderful it a one-person show called Aren't You? And um, and we have a link for that. And uh, I'm so happy for Fred Pitts uh, getting uh, having a, a company like the Marsh. Believe in him. So there's a link for that. Uh, Palo Alto Players is doing Misery, mm-hmm. a play based on the Alfred Hitchcock movie and um, the Stephen King. Uh, did I say Alfred Hitchcock? I meant Stephen King. Stephen King. Stephen mm-hmm. King uh, novel and uh, movie. Kimberly Ridgeway is directing that. That'll be. Um, it began January the 19th and it ends February the 4th. Opened just yesterday. Yep. Yep. Also, um, South Asian AF uh, is done, being done at the San Francisco Sketch Fest. That'll be February the 1st. Radhika Rao will be in that show. Um, Mar- Man- Manhattan. Manhattan at, at the Aurora yes. Theater. <laughs> uh, that will be playing uh, February the 9th through March the 10th. And Linda Omaya Hassan is in that show. So check that out. Uh, ACT is doing big data, and Norman G is understudying for that, so I'm hoping that he'll get on the stage. That'll be February the 15th through March the 10th. Um, Unpacking in P-Town. New New Conservatory Theater Company is doing that. That'll be opening March the 1st through the 31st. Kimberly Ridgway is directing that show. I believe Shanjay West is actually in that show as well. Yeah, you know what? I think you're absolutely right. And Shanjay had, it's wonderful, the New Conservatory Theater, they're bringing in these uh, minority directors. Shanjay had directed a piece, uh, I can't remember what the piece was, but we did promote it. And now Kimberly Ridgway. He directed me at a soldier's play. Of course, that's right. (laughs) That's how I met Shanjay. Of course, yes. So that's fantastic. So uh, we have a link for that. Uh, San Francisco Shakes is doing As You Like It, uh, and they're a company that... They, they have different venues, so um, uh, we have a link for that. But Jen Coogan, who has been on the show, is part of the musical creative team for that. And Shotgun is doing Best Available. <laughs> uh, John Tracy is the director. Kimberly Ridgway is the associate director. Jonathan Spector, that's your play. <laughs> uh, Best Available, and we have a link for that, so uh, check that out. A good friend of mine, Catherine Park, who is a local Bay Area singer, and songwriter, uh, she'll be performing at the San Francisco International Arts Festival on April the 17th and possibly May the 9th. Uh, the event is called Last Supper Party, and we have a link for that. She's also in the movie Sorry We're Dead. <clears throat> That'll be performing at the Roxy Theater House. So check that out on February the 10th. 
Um, and also, we want to plug in our yay jerseys. Uh, we have uh, <laughs> Jake oh, has nice. his yes. nice. uh, black, white pinstripe. We want to thank everyone who's been bu- buying the yay jerseys and pushing and taking pictures of it. You know, as as you move around, Jeannie Baroga sent me a picture. It's only thirty dollars, and you'll be supporting our show and as we support Bay Area Theater. Uh, there are a couple of podcasts. Don't just listen to ours, but Barry Graves has the Black Man's Heart. Check that out. Mallory Samara, our consulting producer, has her her day job is KCBS Radio, and she has two uh, shows that she uh, helps produce, as prescribed, and also uh, Bay Current. So check those out. Central Works has the Central Works Script Club. That's a podcast where you can download or read a play script and then listen to an audio interview with the playwright. That's delivered semi annually. Aaron Henney, um, who's been on the show, he is the artistic director of Theater Dybbuk. That is a Jewish-based theater company in L.A., and they have the Dybbukast, where they work on a show and then do a podcast on it, and they bring these creations and their historical context to life, all while revealing their relationship to issues still present today. Deborah Cortez has a podcast called Let's Talk About Grief. She was very open about the death of her son. That happened a couple of years ago. And she has a podcast that delves into grief. So check that out. And the last one, Bendelstiff has the podcast exploring Philippine-American immigrant stories. That is it. Did you guys uh, enjoy yourselves, John and Ipshita? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And like I said, we wanted to, you know... Promote you guys. A couple of plugs before absolutely, we actually go please out. do. So yeah, actually, did, I did want to plug actually um, for Creatively Shaded. They're also a local Bay Area theater podcast that actually just pretty much started as recently. I think is uh, uh, in December. Um, they are hosted by four wonderful artists: um, Liz Jones, Phaedra Tilbury, and Shanjay, right? And Shanjay. That's I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah, and I and Jaquetta. Oh, I haven't formally met Jaquetta, so I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. So, but that's a new Bay Area, Bay Area podcast, so creatively shaded. Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely like audiences to check them out. And uh, I did want to plug also another uh, theater director of mine, Amy Sass. She's going to be back in town and actually doing a workshop called Fierce Play on January 28th from 4 to 6 p.m. So I hope that you know people will. Go to her Instagram, Amy Sass, and all that, and she and she will have a plug for that as well. And is it okay to shout out some birthdays as well? Sure, 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 sure. Cool, cool. Um, so before we, before uh, you know, I want to make sure I get this out that um, my wife's birthday is actually this Monday. Hey, and uh, hey. you know, we had a really great time doing Throwaway Temple with Kunuichi Productions. So happy birthday to her! I'm really excited to celebrate her birthday. And, um, and and two more birthdays. Uh, Drew Patton, who played Captain Taylor in A Soldier's Play mm-hmm. at Altamina, he is a wonderful actor, and actually I think he's a, a minister. Uh, I, I could be getting this incorrect, but now at, uh, now in a, uh, at a church in Berkeley. Mm. And he's a, just a terrific person even as well. He and I had a number of wonderful conversations on our rides back from Altamina Playhouse. Fantastic. So his birthday is January 27th. And then last but certainly not least is good friend Terrence Smith, who hey. happened to be in a soldier's play as well uh-huh. at Altamina, and he closed out his show A Christmas Carol at the Lesher Center for the Arts. Uh, unfortunately think he's having a uh, uh, have, uh, having a hard time right now just with some personal matters going on but you know I'm yeah. not going to put his business out there because that's not my no, business no Terrence is fantastic I've, I've been on stage with him and um, he I think he uh, we were in a reading together of Radio Golf mm-hmm. uh, and Terrence is just fantastic an amazing talent and I really see his career just going up and up absolutely Terrence a happy birthday to you and no matter what's going on with you you know 
you know, you can handle it. You yeah, know, you, we've you're, got you're going to be just fantastic. We've got you've got support. Yeah. All right. Tonight, is there? I don't know how. Like, plug some things. Sure, I don't know course, how, how how wide your reach is beyond the bay, but yeah, I, please do. Um, I've a, this, uh, this much I know is is going to start previews at January thirty first at Theater J in, in, in Washington DC. Yeah. Um, and it's still running in London at the Hampstead Theater until. I want to say February 8th or 10th, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And if you happen to be in Vienna, Austria, <laughs> yeah. um, Rika Day is running at the birth. They, you know, they have a totally different way of doing things. So they have a repertory company. Yeah. Wow. So the play runs, you know, they do like 50 shows a year in four theaters in rep. So Whoa. this play runs like once every, I don't know, week or two for mm. a year. It's, it's very weird. Like the actors, you know, they all have like, seven or eight plays in their heads at all times because wow. they're just like doing a different show every night. It's so yeah. totally wild. Yeah. Um, now we definitely have to keep our eyes on Eureka Day and uh, if it has a Broadway showing, you know, we're definitely going to get you back on and um, that is just fantastic. I mean, that's the dream. That is that is the ultimate yeah. playwright's dream, I would think. And if you get a Tony, it's even, it's even greater. <laughs> even better. Absolutely. Oh. Yes. Real quick, last yes, plug for yes, myself. I apologize. Please, please it's okay, do. I'm going to go yeah, after uh, you. <laughs> Uh, lastly, for August Wilson's uh, How I Learned What I Learned over yeah. at Theaterworks. I think they're opening actually this upcoming week. So Cool. Do we know anybody yeah. in, who's in it? Uh, I believe it's, uh, oh God, his name is Sag, Stephen Anthony Jones. So okay. uh, right, Stephen yeah, Anthony yeah. Jones, uh, I know Jeffrey Lowe, I believe, is the casting director. Okay. And uh, Tim Bond is, correcting, is nice. directing it. Nice. So yeah, I mean, just... It- I, I know I was the light walker for that piece. Cool. So I was just like, yeah, I was a part of it in that small way, but I was just like, I would really like to check that piece out because it sounds amazing. And cool. there's a show, I think I'm going to opening at Shotgun tonight that I'm... Babes in Holland. Yes, I was blanking on the name. Okay. <laughs> oh, don't worry. You all need to get your Shotgun subscriptions. <laughs> uh, Midsummer is going to be the first piece in the next season. Uh-huh. It's going to be amazing. It's directed by William Hodgson. Uh are you still on the board? I still on the board. I'm on my second, third year term, three year yeah. term. And I believe isn't Sundiata in that piece? She's You're in, gonna have to correct me, but maybe. I believe. Yeah. I, I know Sundiata. Yeah. She's, I believe, in that piece. Yeah. It's gonna nice. be fabulous. Um, yeah, William Thomas Hodgson is directing Midsummer. It's gonna be a feast for nice. like the emotional and spectacle and all of the above. I'm so excited. Um, and then I wanted to mention Playground Solo Fest okay. is right. coming up. Um, the free shows, January 6th, 26th to February 11th. Sonia Sarkar is doing one-woman piece called Baby Coconut, which I'm really excited for. I'm going to make it out there. Um, and then, not to sort of end on a low note, but my instructor, Melissa Thompson-Insea, is uh, struggling with a aging mom and parent. So yeah, if you check yeah. out my Instagram... You are welcome to give what you can um, to Nilda for for her recovery and, and rehabilitation. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons why Norman isn't here right now. And uh, yeah. you know, I think all of us, as we get up there, we have parents who are also getting up and there. Artists and artists yeah. are the people in our lives that we can help but support. Of course, of course, absolutely. Thanks. So thank yeah, thank you for much for thank you so much for using VA to you know to get all of the stuff out there. That's what that's what this is all about. So I'm very totally. happy yeah. to have this repository. And uh, <laughs> it is raining yeah, amazingly it's outside. <laughs> Exciting. I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to have a 49ers Packers party and you know we'll see who comes and who doesn't come, but we'll, well see. I will be showing back up again. So I thank you for the invite, Red. Hey, thank you so much, and thank uh, every, for the both of you for yeah, coming. It's you. it's really really wonderful and great conversation. 
and we are on that Apple Podcast app on your uh, uh, that purple pa- app on your iPhone or iPad. We're also on Spotify, Overcast, SoundCloud, and now we're on Amazon Podcast. You just go on music.amazon.com, search for The A, and you will find us. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up. I'm at The Yay. I'm at Reg Space Clay. Norman is at Hoosier Hoosier. And I noticed both of you have Instagram um, pages. Yeah, for, check it out. Yeah. Uh, underscore underscore Ipshita. Ipshita. And John, you're at a Spectorama. Hopefully I didn't get confused with the other John Spectres out there. Uh, do any of you have like other uh, social media or web pages or things? Uh, and we'll also uh, have NFX Theater. Yeah, we have a Substack. Yeah. So definitely check out nfxtheater.com slash Substack. Exactly. I have a website, which is it's jonathanspector.org, okay. I believe. Yeah, I'll test it and I'll put the link in there yeah, and people can link, check it out. I definitely said that <laughs> wrong. It's fine. No, it's all good. All right, it's a wonderful, well, it's a rainy Saturday. Rainy. Thank you so much for coming out. And as Norman and I always say, we got to find, find a, a better, better sign off. And we are out. <laughs> <laughs>